Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Scrubbed In podcast. I hope you've all been keeping well. Today, we've got another special guest I'll introduce you. His name is Shaheen Mamoun. He is the director of the Black Antelope Group, previously having served as a trustee on the Habeas Corpus Project. He's becoming a super hotshot lawyer. He's had loads of media coverage. I would hold fire in terms of giving all his background and we can introduce Shaheen and he can tell us a bit more of all the stuff you've been involved in. Welcome to the show, Shaheen. Thank you for having me, guys. Such a generous introduction. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's a pleasure. Um, a lot of the people that are aware of the politics and things that have been happening may be aware that you are perhaps the face of this legal challenge against the Mayor of London after he decided to kind of play games with the congestion charge you know, you're on the Law Society, on the diversity, inclusion, you serve all there. You're doing amazing stuff in this moment in time, having grafted for years. Take us back to how it all started, your journey, why you wanted to become a lawyer, why you set up your own firm, and we'll come back to present day. How's that? Sounds brilliant. I mean, just like anyone else coming from a working class background, growing up in a sort of strong BME community in inner city London, I think the first ambition we all have is to essentially try to do well, Mm. try to improve from our parents' lives, essentially. So my father had a restaurant, my mum was a typical housewife, for example, just a typical working class family. So essentially you want to improve on your education, but back then the opportunities were very, very limited. Mm. Diversity wasn't a big issue back then. So where you wanted to aspire to, whether you wanted to become a lawyer or a doctor, we were just sort of getting our foot into those industries. Yeah. Myself, I went to school in Hackney, secondary school. Mm. Then I went to university at Westminster. What did you study at university? So I did my law degree and my LPC degree. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest sort of challenges I faced was the fact that I went to a non-Russell group uni. Mm. So essentially when you're a lawyer, there's a lot of like talks, especially career talks and the big firms, Magic Circle firms, they essentially say you should be going to a Russell Group Uni. Mm. If you don't, then essentially, you know, your ability to become a lawyer and qualify is just very limited. So one of the first things that I was able to sort of apprehend and sort of overcome was the fact that I went to a uni mm. that wasn't mm. recognised by the top firms. Mm. From there, essentially, it was difficult. You can imagine the legal sector is full of a lot of competition. There's a lot yeah. of talented individuals, mm. a lot of individuals, friends I know personally who just need an opportunity to succeed. Mm. But there's just too many people. There's, you've competing with people from the previous year, the younger years, your year. Mm. You've got people coming in from overseas who are trying to qualify as a lawyer. Mm. So the legal industry is very competitive. Yeah. Mm. And that causes a lot of problems in the sense that if you have personal ambitions to succeed, mm then the ability for you to actually go on to do something is very, very, very limited in scope. The the Law Society published a report saying the average age of a qualified solicitor is 29 years old. Oh, wow. And you always read, so medicine is a bit cutthroat, competitive, but nowhere as near as what you hear in the law world. Hmm. Did you feel that this degree of nepotism, inner circles, you know, if your dad's a lawyer, he's hooking me up. Did you kind of experience that or notice that happening? How... We read about it, but is that true? What is the world of law like behind closed doors? When grazing, you've mm. got a new premises um, as part of Black Antelope, right in the heart of central London. But how is it? Because I know you've worked in those firms before setting up your own shop. There is a degree of uh, 
nepotism, those mm. sort of issues that a lot of people face. Like you mentioned, uh, when people have good connections within the legal sector, they're able to sort of qualify. But I would say the biggest difficulty is the fact that a lot of law students don't realise that you have to be entrepreneurial nowadays. Mm. So law firms, unlike the medical profession, yeah. the way they owners, etc., view it is as a business. So aspiring lawyers are seen as commodity rather than actual individual uh, career progressing uh, people who can actually do well to society. They're just uh, seen as another business. So therefore, they're not looking at your grades. They're looking in how much can you generate. And that's where the problem lies. Law school doesn't teach you that. And a lot of lawyers uh, that I've come across, they don't understand the entrepreneurial, the client care element of it. Mm. Especially at a young age, you've been told your whole life to pass grades, do work experience, do internships, you know, uh, network virtually, face to face. And then you can imagine when you apply to go to a law firm to do your training contract or your pupillage, you're struggling because all because they don't see you as someone who could generate money. I see. So I think that that's probably the, not the hidden agenda, but the agenda when big firms are looking to recruit lawyers. So Just any firm, I would say, any firm. So would it mean, let's say I'm a really good lawyer, like I love the cause, I'm, I'm book smart, but I lack that entrepreneurial spirit. I lack, you know, let's say the stuff you have. Would that put me at a disadvantage then oh. compared to someone that's, you know, entrepreneurial, has this and that on the side as well as being a lawyer? To an extent. Hmm. So when I was trying to enter the legal profession, diversity wasn't as pushed as much as it is now. Hmm. So there's much greater diversity. Don't get me wrong. There's still issue with, you know, alleged elitism within hmm. the legal profession. Hmm. There's a lot of still uh, stereotypes, prejudice hmm. and a lot of bias, a lot of, you know, BME lawyers like myself face. Hmm. However, there's great awareness now. And a lot of the firms have realised our communities have a strong ent- entrepreneurial hub. Mm. So our communities, there's a lot of opportunity for firms to actually work together and you know prosper. Mm. The difficulty is, it all comes down to experience, and it also comes down to business. And it doesn't matter, as far as I'm concerned, if you qualified in Oxford, if you just book smart, but you're mm. not professionally smart in the sense that you're able to reach out, market, get approach get clients Mm. or even just approach communities to develop a tie with a firm Mm. then that's going to put you at a disadvantage okay so so in your journey how did you develop that entrepreneurial instinct where where did that come from well abdul will know i mean when we used to play football Mm. for holborn fc Mm. one of the first things that we always used to do was talk about legal issues Mm. you have to go and reach out to your community first especially Mm. when you're a bme person Mm. let's face it our communities are big we have ex big extended families we have friends neighbors etc that we always communicate mm. reach out to them first build up the client case there mm. reach mm. out understand their needs and develop your own brand from a young age so i think what's interesting mm. is a lot of people think i need to go get that celebrity client i need to get that client that has thousands of followers on instagram mm. and i need to be seen as being his lawyer whereas where you kind of did a grass level start with the local community and kind of work your way mm. up to the point where now you're, you know, you have a role in the law society and, you know, you're always getting awards, you're always being published. You even went back to Westminster University to give a talk, right? Mm. How, when did all of that start happening for you? When, where you started getting this press coverage? When did you start getting awards? How do you even get onto the law society for someone that is an ethnic minority um, with his own little, you know, firm? How does that work? Absolutely. I mean, one thing I always say is momentum. Mm. So as a young lawyer, soon as they recognize that you have momentum, you're succeeding, you're representing a lot of people, you're doing something that's not traditionally common within the legal profession, mm. you straight away get a lot of awareness. Mm. 
So getting onto the law society, like I said, there's greater awareness when it comes to diversity. Mm. So it's you standing out against the crowd. Mm. And a lot of mistake, um, young lawyers especially in particular make, is the fact that they assume that because they're hardworking, Mm. they're ambitious, Mm. or they're energetic or enthusiastic, therefore they're entitled Mm. to a sense of, you know, uh, media coverage, etc. One thing I'll say, being a good lawyer means you have to be all of those. Mm. It's the stuff that you're not expected to do. For example, going out, reaching new communities, understanding their cases, doing cases on pro bono, for example, that no other lawyer wants to do. I see. Yeah. That's the stuff that makes you stand out rather than you just saying, I'm ambitious. Hmm. J- just explain the pro bono cases a little bit to mm. me. How does so, it work? Yeah, yeah so obvi- I've only seen this in the, obviously the TV shows and things like that. So a lot of people reject it. Is it based on the fact that it's a case that you're more likely to lose or is it financially not worth it? What's the reasoning? So um, pro bono just means free. Mm, it's yeah. a Latin word. It just means free legal work. Okay. Yeah. A lot of the bigger firms, the reason why they do pro bono is to get media coverage mm. or to be recognised, yeah. etc. Um, you know, it's seen as a marketing ploy. Mm. When I was a trustee of the Habers Corpus Project, mm-hmm. when we set up the charity, our aim was to represent people who had been detained mm-hmm. and who had no papers, so mm-hmm. no immigration status. They were detained and they weren't getting any legal support or legal advice from lawyers. Yeah. So we were literally doing it for free, trying to get them out of the detention, making sure their human rights or their asylum claims yeah. uh, weren't affected by the Home Office. Essentially, we ended up representing 300 people pro bono oh, wow. in one year. And that got substantial coverage because it was part of a, a media uh, initiative where Panorama was speaking about, a couple of years back, BBC Panorama, where they were speaking about detention centres not helping yeah. migrants and they were actually abusing them. Mm. And it got covered by The Guardian as well. So when you do pro bono work, mm. it's it's about chasing your passion rather than thinking about media coverage. If you're doing something that's going to improve people's lives, it will yeah. automatically be covered. So for our young sort of budding lawyers, then would you... So I compare it to basically volunteering in medicine. So where we Absolutely. volunteer to earn skills, develop our knowledge in the field... And I guess demonstrate our passion. So would you would you advise that a lot of our young absolutely guys and the know? younger you do it, the better it is. Mm. Uh, one mistake I made is yeah. I was a slow developer in the sense I left everything until my final year of my legal qualification when I was doing my LPC. Yeah. Hindsight, had I gone back and I reckon if I had started just when I started my law degree in being more actively involved with the sort of societies in university. Yeah done more volunteering work within the legal sector mm-hmm. that would have maybe sped things up for me but yeah. I see that mistake happening with a lot of law students and the best thing I can say is go to your local citizens advice bureau law centres partner up with them yeah. there's no harm in receiving that sort of experience absolutely I, I see a lot of similarities to be honest in a lot of industries where they say and a lot of the sort of famous entrepreneurs have said it where they say work for free and that work for free is basically covers the volunteering medicine and I guess the pro bono work for you and it's, it's not about, like you said, it's not about earning the money and things like that. It's about developing your passion, your skills, your knowledge in the field to then allow you to go on to have success later on. Um, what so I would say is, is yeah. traditionally, back mm. in the days, I mean, people became lawyers to help society rather than yeah. to actually make money. Yeah. It's only now recently where there's been a lot of like TV dramas like Suits, etc., yeah. where the onus of money is actually portrayed as like massive advantage of being a lawyer. Yeah, yeah, but traditionally, yeah. being a lawyer meant you weren't in it for the money. And I mm, think a lot yeah, of people need to develop that sort of idea and realise that when you go into the legal profession, mm. depending on what area you go into, yeah. at the start of your career, 
it's going to be very difficult because it's such a competitive field. Yeah, absolutely. I and it's not like um, like medical profession where, for example, you might be public sector. Mm. Mm. The legal profession, majority of it is private. 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 Mm. Yeah. I think what I gather from like experience is like law was seen as that profession, or like when you meet lawyers, you're like, ah, oh, these lot are making an absolute killing. Yeah. Or and you know like we're on a program where the guy said every time you hear lawyer is kaching, like yeah, you're getting yeah. rinsed for money. And it's like you're defending people that have done wrong. You're lying. How does that aspect work? Like, what? How does the part you know, criminals defending criminals? I know you're in a whole different sector altogether, but how are those lawyers? Is it true? Like, are lawyers liar? Do you lie? So, first thing I'll say is in relation to the question about the finance element. Mm. I can tell you, as a junior lawyer, mm. being paid was the equivalent of when I was working in retail, when I was used to work in Ryman's mm. as a sales mm. assistant. Mm-hmm. If not, it was probably worse. Mm. Legal aid lawyers, there's been so many commissions. So legal aid is when the government provides funding to certain individuals who are able, unable to avoid um, obtaining actual funding for their cases privately. Mm. A qualified solicitor could be on something like 20,000 to 22,000. That's mm. a qualified solicitor. Mm. Certain firms I've worked for, I've worked way below that. Oh, wow. You're talking about serious, not even living wage, you're talking about minimum wage. Yeah. So as a junior lawyer, unfortunately, it's Into just it. so prevalent. What I would say is if you work for the commercial firms, mm. they might pay you 38, 40 plus. Mm. However, they expect you to be in 12 hours. They have sleeping pods, so you're literally a robot. Oh you're, <laughs> they have sleeping pods. I've seen it myself. They literally expect you to be in the office. Because they have international clients, so you could I be see. calling in at like 4 a.m., 3 a.m. into Japan, for example. Right. Yeah. Sense. The other element of law is distinguishing your personal opinion mm. and your professional opinion. And a lot of people need to understand is when you're a lawyer, it's similar to a doctor where a doctor undertake an oath. Mm. And mm. regardless of whether that individual's a murderer mm. or a rapist, mm. your first forefront is to actually preserve life. Yeah. Mm. True. Absolutely. You're not expected to make a political judgment That's on that individual. Judgment. Mm. Same thing with lawyers. Mm. As far as lawyers are concerned, is we put the justice and democratic system to account. Right. If the judicial system does its job, then that person will feel the fourth brunt of the law. Mm. However, if that person is innocent, mm. then clearly he should not be penalised. Fine. So, so it's, it's not about side, saying yeah. lying. It's not about. Mm. I know there's a common spin in the media where lawyers hide documents and stuff like mm. that. Is more to do with in this country is putting the court system to account Fair. and if the court system isn't doing its job we should be raising questions to the cps crown prosecution service so why they're not doing their job correctly mm. yeah mm. fair all right so i think it's very easy to kind of believe what the media is saying and see and i think you know what it is i think watching all these shows like suits skews <laughs> what yeah. it means to be a lawyer it does because I'm that guy, whatever TV show I watch, I want to be that. And I wanted to be Harvey Specter for a while. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? Because he's slick. He's that hotshot lawyer. He's, you know, all he hears is billable hours and he's, he's making millions. But um, Bro, in third year of medicine, he generally walked around just saying, call me Harvey, call me yeah. Harvey. <laughs> so, I can tell you, everyone has a lot of attitude in law like Harvey Specter. But uh, yeah, you don't realise the majority like of law is photocopying, <laughs> admin, why, calling up the court, why hasn't this been served? Yeah. That's the less gra- glamorous part of the role but and people don't realise. It's very similar to being a, a, a junior doctor. There is a lot of admin, there is a lot of chasing this, chasing scans, chasing mm. results. It just reminded me, I remember you worked in, in Grey's Inn for a while. What is 
this fascination of grazing, what does it mean in the world of law? I know Tony Blair's wife works somewhere here. You've worked in grazing. There's fancy cars there. It seems like such an elite. It's really beautiful, by the way. If anyone gets a chance, make sure you go check out grazing. What is it? What does it all mean in our temple? I'm not. So Chancery Lane is the birthplace of law. Oh, wow. So okay. the first ever lawyers that were founded in this country mm. were essentially established in Chancery Lane. Mm. Now, the mm. distinguished is that we need to sort of appreciate is the fact the solicitor profession and the barrister profession are completely different. Mm. So the law society represents the values of solicitors mm. and their sort of HQ is based on Chancery Lane. Mm. Now, when it comes to Inner Temple, Middle Temple, yeah. Lincoln's Inn and Gray's Inn, they represent, each inn represents the values of uh, barristers mm. or aspiring barristers. So mm. when you want to become a barrister, you have to join one of those inns. Mm. So that's the sort of differentiation between the two professions mm. so traditionally Chancery Lane Grazian area is seen as the place where law was born where all the courts so are established started. Oh, okay, that's so there's a lot of history there. behind that traditionally and are there firms still working here or have they all kind of moved into like the city where the big towers are so a lot of barrister chambers yep. so you can imagine cases where like for example Shamima Begum's case where the barristers are yeah. Um, they are all located around this area. Okay. So all the way from central London. Mm. A lot of the solicitor firms, they're based around here, but it's all scattered across the country. No, yeah. So but, um, this is, if anything, would this be a, an ideal location for a firm? Because it's, it's, it's seeped in so much history and heritage. It is and it isn't. Mm. It is in the sense, lawyers have a lot of sentiment to the actual location. Mm. But in terms of for clients, I mean, I'm sure you guys will appreciate the fact that everyone's a bit more consumer savvy. Yeah. Mm. You can just go online, yeah, whatever sure. you want to order. I mean, the legal profession changed so much. Legal services are given online. It's not about your location. It's okay. more about what can you offer at the right price. True. Yeah, true. So, so tell us a little bit now how you've basically gone on to become more independent and how the birth of Black Antelope and mm. what you've brought into your industry from yourself reason why I wanted to become independent is the fact that I wanted to demonstrate that it is possible to have your own values and mm. set up your firm and be a lawyer that isn't sort of conforming to the traditional views of what a lawyer is essentially. Yeah. So I co-founded Black Antelope Law with my colleague Simao, who's a barrister. I was 26 at the time, which is unheard of. Yeah. So like I mentioned, common age for solicitors qualifying is 29. Yeah. So I was already a solicitor at the age of 25. I co-founded it at 26. And essentially, I've been demonstrating within the sector itself that it is possible to be independent, it's possible to be young, it's mm. possible to be Asian, and it's yeah. possible to come from working class, essentially, and do yeah. your own firm and be successful mm -hmm. without having to rely on others. That's how I define success, not financially, but yeah. to be independent and to push forward your own values. Mm. And I think the law, the legal profession is starting to copy that in the sense that they're a bit more informal now. Mm. They're approaching like social media, like Instagram, for example, LinkedIn. Mm. Yeah. And a lot of lawyers, for example, if you meet them now, mm. they're moving away from this whole wearing suits, free pieces, using legal words. Pin, <laughs> pinstripe shoes. Yeah. They do look good though. They look good. <laughs> but at the end of the day, as a client, you want something comfortable. You're investing in the person. Mm. Yeah. So... I don't know how you feel, but I wouldn't feel comfortable with someone just using long words and literally undermining me when I'm paying for their services. True. Yeah. So I think the good thing about Black Antelope and about yourself is you take it upon yourself to really understand, really to get to know your clients. And I've yeah. seen videos where you've put up of them like so grateful, so thankful of the services 
that you've helped them and I imagine like word of mouth has probably done you wonders absolutely but you can tell like these are genuine people that have been helped and like I've seen your work ethic you Mm. work super hard you're always grinding you're always on it you've even helped us out on the charity you know without asking for anything in return um and it, I think that is one of the things that we don't get to see or that needs to be more prevalent and yeah. shown to the world. What, what's the f- the only, actually, you're the only person, you're the only lawyer I know who's actually almost part of the community. Yeah. On, mm, when, yeah. I, when, I, when I switch on social media, when I see the cases, you're the only person that feels like this guy is part of my community. He's, he's working within the community rather than being a separate identity or a body, yeah. uh, which I imagine what law is usually like. So when you're in trouble, when you need a bit of support, legal help, you go to someone outside of the community. I feel like you're already invested within the community. And that's, I think that's the newest thing that you've brought, from my opinion, from my opinion. That's exactly what mm. I've been preaching. Mm. And that's what I exactly preach when I go to lawfare talks, when I speak at universities yeah. and any aspiring lawyers, when I give them advice, is use your background Especially yeah. if you're like myself from a BME working class background, use your background to your advantage. Don't use yeah. it as a, to a disadvantage. Don't feel like you're struggling to get into the legal profession because you know you don't know X, Y, Z of certain chambers. Therefore, mm-hmm. you can't get training. Use that as a means to actually promote yourself. Yeah. Um. Just a question that a lot of our um, listeners might have is: so you said you qualified by twenty five? Did you say? Mm. Uh, how did you do that so quickly? How is it a case of because I'm a medic, I don't really know. So is it that you just sat all your exams or something together, or how does um, it work? So how it works is you do a three year law degree. Yeah. After you've done your law degree, you have to do something called a legal practice course if you want to be a solicitor, which is one year after your law yep. degree. Mm-hmm. After you complete that, then you have to do a two year training contract. Yep. And that's undertaken vocationally at a firm. So you've got to be offered at any law solicitor's firm basically two years for you to do a training period. Yeah. And then after that, essentially, you qualify and then the, law, uh, the SRA, Solicitor's Regulation Authority, register you. Yeah. So how many years would that be? That's three... Three, four, five, five six. six. Yeah. So five, Academically six. and vocationally, six years. So, so where people yeah. struggle is after they've done the LPC, mm. which costs roughly around in between in the region of 12,000 to 15,000 oh, pounds and that's not for covered that one year that's not covered by student finance either so how do people so how do you so people, people take out debts people take out bank loans uh, okay. so what i was lucky in the sense when i did my law degree and lpc i was part of an integrated course that mm. just literally came out i was the second year in the whole country to do it okay we merged both of the courses under one uh, uh, so, okay, fine. so, so funding lucky. wise it was brilliant so, so would that have mean let's say if that if you didn't happen to be on that course and let's say you know you were from a working background, i would have to take a bank loan out or i'd have to borrow money money etc so that naturally puts a lot of people at let's disadvantage. say talented mm. people with a lot of potential at disadvantage no one and no one's brave enough maybe now but i imagine lots of people they just want to get on with it they don't want the hassle of running a business they don't want mm. to having a 10 grand loan on their heads but the difficulty with that um, which I'm sure you appreciate is people who do medical degrees mm. uh, qualifications like yourself you're guaranteed something at the end yeah. of your studies yeah, yeah. whether it's not much or whether it's less or more you know you're going to qualify into a doctor if you've yeah. done the studying side mm-hmm. True. whereas with the legal profession once you've done that LPC you've invested potentially up to 15k on top of your law degree mm. you're not even guaranteed to even get work experience oh wow yeah. how so. difficult is it to kind of penetrate into these firms to get a good work experience it's very difficult very different there's just, like i mentioned there's just too many individuals out there talented individuals i can see that as now as being an owner of a law firm being on the other end as much as i want to help so many people we just don't have capacity True. so before the whole covid19 situation 
we were probably booked out for the whole year for work experience and like internships and like people joining as paralegals and litigation assistants. Mm. So it just shows you how competitive the profession is. Mm. No. And you join training contract. I mean, then it becomes where the law firms can set up their own criteria, provided they don't discriminate and they comply with the law, like in terms of providing the required salary, etc., and they undertake the relevant training, they can set their own criteria, essentially, as to who they recruit. Mm. Seeing yourself, however, and seeing our previous guests having those discussions, I feel like we're in a generation, right, where our generation is almost breaking down the barriers to mm. make it easier for the next generation coming through. Um, so despite it being overfilled with people, despite it being so competitive, seeing you do what you've done, mm. seeing your work on social media and everything else, I think it's a, it's a source of inspiration and it's a source of hope, I feel, where a lot of our listeners can say, you know what, it is hard. It is ridiculously difficult to get work experience, but if this guy did it, I can do it. Um, so no, I just want to say carry on with what you're doing, keep Thank smashing you. it, keep on... Social media is important in this day and age. Uh, I think we don't watch TV, we don't watch news as much. So I think when anyone needs legal aid and legal support, seeing someone within the community that you can just send a message to, send a DM to, um, it's a huge, huge um, leg to stand on. Hmm. So, yeah. LinkedIn especially. Like hmm. nowadays, if you don't have LinkedIn, yeah, then you know what, you might as well just give up and pack your bags essentially mm. because LinkedIn, mm. if you're like me, someone who didn't usually like uh, networking face-to-face in mm. events, then LinkedIn is a way to bypass that. I mean, the, what's the worst, if you message someone, what's the worst they can do? Ignore you. Mm. You're in the yeah. same position as you were essentially not messaging them. Mm. But you know, you might get work experience, you might get clients, you might get offers. So LinkedIn is a must. Fine. So to all the listeners out there that are aspiring lawyers, solicitors, and if you're worried about networking or if you need that bit more confidence, LinkedIn is a very good place to start. Um, so kind of moving forward, we've seen kind of the difficulties you've had, you know, your grind. Present day, you know, I went onto social media, I see your, your, your firm on TV mm. and <laughs> all of a sudden there is a legal action being taken against the mayor of London because he changed the congestion charge without consulting or doing proper due diligence. Tell us about that, because it's amazing. You know, like, you're kind of spearheading it. you got a lot of coverage on it. I think a loss, it would have just went under the radar if people like you guys did not pick her up. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's just I, an accepted I change. The problem, what I learned from you is the challenging. You know, lots of things happen in the world of politics. We're medics, so we don't know. Like, mm. you know, ah, oh, okay, they increased the price. We just have to accept it, whereas you guys challenge it. So tell us how it all started, where it's now, and what the future kind of holds for that. Absolutely. So during the COVID-19 situation, the Mayor of London essentially suspended congestion charge. So mm. anyone coming into London, residents, etc., no one was paying for congestion charge around mid-March when mm. it all began, mm. the lockdown, etc. 15th of May, 2020, this year, essentially the Mayor of London announced in a press release that he's extending the price to £15. He's extending the hours till 10pm each day mm. for seven days a week. Wow. He's removing new applications for discounts for residents. And essentially, the scope for exemption only applies to NHS workers. So police officers would be paying in to essentially go into work. Mm. Even care workers, people that work in care homes? He's only said NHS workers. So, Mm. again... If you're not an NHS worker. Again, there's a lack of clarity. Mm. 
he's passed it as a so-called proposed change. So mm. it's not enacted into law. Mm. What he's trying to do is bypass consultation periods, engaging with like stakeholders, you know, like Addison Lee, ah. trade unions, local residents that are going to be affected as a public body. Um, so he's someone who's like the council mm. where his decisions affect a lot of people. He's making a decision that's going to affect a lot of people, but he's not asking them how it's going to affect them. So essentially, as soon as that was flagged up, I reached out to a lot of organisations and they were scared essentially as to how to proceed. Mm. And as far as I was concerned, the only way to actually do this wasn't going to be through petition, was to essentially establish a legal challenge. So we've served a letter to the Mayor of London putting him on notice before we go to court. Whilst in the midst of that, oh we've been days. approached. Oh my days! Handed so, in a notice. Yeah. So how does that? Like, how did you? Have <laughs> you did you go up to his like, doorstep and just can even do that? No, how, so is that even doable? Happened? I seen it. Call a subpoena on. Uh, on is that a subpoena? No, is so it's a subpoena? point notice. Essentially, you serve it on his solicitors, oh, um, who work for TfL. Fine. So the TfL is part of the Mayor of London. Mayor of London is a person we're essentially bringing a claim against, mm. and his solicitors are TfL's internal solicitors. Mm. Yeah. But what's happened in the midst of it? There's been interesting developments where we've been approached by a major pressure group mm. uh, which should be really you know revealed by next week Fine. who are looking to join and it essentially in layman's term this is going to be like a class action prospectively mm. and it's the boundary is essentially establishing what is the mayor of london's actual powers mm. so the mayor of london is actually arguing that he's using emergency powers to bypass this because he's doing it for the greater good of the public where he needs to undertake emergency work on the roads, mm. help cyclists, etc., come back to work. And he's mm. saying it's a temporary measure. But as we know with government policies and public policies is when they say temporary, more likely than not, it's going to become permanent. permanent mm. yeah. Yeah. So a normal person could be en- end up paying £1,000 on top of their usual expenses on a car for just having a car in central London. So does this affect people that do like Uber, minicab? Everyone, like, everyone. Already yeah. struggling. Okay. So last year minicab drivers and uber drivers actually bought a claim where their exemption for congestion charge was removed mm-hmm. by the mayor of london they went all the way to high court and unfortunately lost it because they raised grounds on discrimination and human rights mm. so they are paying the actual congestion charge now mm. and now they're going to be paying for seven days a week Even from the 22nd yeah, of june yeah. so for a layman right as well so why can't the mayor do that so I, I, because he's part of the the higher powers let's say why can't he just increase the price because he decides that we want more money more tax is it, is it not something like taxation where if they wanted to just increase it then so be it so it is a bit complicated but if i was put simply the mayor of london is essentially blaming the government where the government provided them with a funding deal to uh, to bail them out the tfl the challenges yeah. they're facing mm. within the letter the transport secretary essentially said that he would need the Mayor of London in return as a part of accepting the funding deal to bring forward proposals to widen the scope in accordance with his legal powers yeah. of the congestion charge. Mm. Now, the Mayor of London is basically spinning that as saying that the government is basically making him, forcing him oh, to I do see. all of these measures. Mm. But the power itself lies with the Mayor of London as to how he brings it. Okay, fine. So there's a bit of a political struggle in that sense. And we want clarification as to why the Mayor of London seeks fear without consulting the public. Yeah. uh, Which I should say, he had a small so-called consultation period for one week where he asked members of the public to email TfL to express their views. Mm. 
And we know case law, which basically says if you do a consultation, you've got to do it properly. It's got to be adequate and fair. You yeah. can't half-bake a cake, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what the Mayor of London is doing. And he's okay. just relying on the fact that he's done something and he's got emergency powers. Mm. So our question would be, why are you going past the public, not asking them how it's going to affect them, and what powers do you actually have to define this emergency? Yeah, I see. So with these cases... And you always hear in law, like, some of these cases drag on forever. They take years and years. Is this something where you think you're going to be at it in the next few years or so? Is it something that can be dealt with very easily? It's, um, there's, like I mentioned, there's, it's going to be a complicated case. There's a lot mm. of interesting development. Mm. And there's a lot of organisations that are actually joining Fine. the actual case. All I'll say is just watch out, essentially. Fine, just keep an eye on it. It's going to be covered. Mm. Um, essentially, it's an interesting area of law, which has never been approached by anyone. Mm. so it's something out of the unique mm. um, wilderness and it's not right. something that's ever happened before so I think that's good and yeah. it's a good precedence that you're setting as well because you've challenged this change which affects so many people I mean it affects us because yeah. I can't drive in anymore to um, Even do, like the, um, yeah. do the podcast sessions and things like that I have to take public transport and things um, which we know they've encouraged us not to use public transport yeah. which is another thing as which well, doesn't it? make sense like at all sword. Um, but like I would have accepted it and I imagine you yeah, would have accepted it I would have whereas we meet someone like you who, so who is like one thing I always say is when there's a public body so when there's a government body such as the council mm. or mayor of London in this instance is you should always hold them to account mm. and that's why I say as young lawyers you know you can always approach them and understand why they're making a decision mm. you shouldn't let public bodies just make decisions for the sake of it without holding them to account no, I definitely agree. And that was quite insightful for even us. And I'm sure the le- listeners will also benefit who kind of know about it, but don't really understand it or even understand the kind of the law profession itself. Mm. Yeah. Um, just, you know, coming towards the end, it's always nice for someone that has been there, done it. What advice would you give to our young listeners? Because we have so many that want to be, you know, lawyers, want to enter the marketing world. What advice would you give to these lawyers or mm. people planning to pursue law as a degree and a career? Based on my experiences, I would say reach out to your community first. Mm. Make yourself known. You need to understand that being an individual is not compatible with society nowadays. You mm. need to go be part of your community. Reach out to a lot of people, not just within the legal profession, mm. Mm. but also people of different industries. Mm. Have a good online presence. That's important. Right? So, for example, LinkedIn is a must. But people are using like for example facebook instagram twitter etc but also portraying yourself in the right manner so just because you have social media and you can be reached i mean if you're posting silly pictures of you going out every mm. night etc then people ain't going to take you seriously they want to see you doing campaigns etc that you're actually helping them mm. so where you might be wearing nice suits like you mentioned it looks nice pinstripe uh, pinstripe suits your online presence could actually let you down so very important to do that mm. reach out to as many law firms lawyers as you can you'd be surprised a lot of lawyers like to help each other out it's just there's so many people that we help that we forget who we're actually helping mm. so don't give up essentially journey is quite lengthy but you realize you learn a lot about yourself whether you're actually passionate about joining the profession itself so at the start of your career financially it's not going to help you so it's just how committed are you Mm. And and so to now again to another question now. So who inspires you? Who inspires you for to keep going to do all these things um, on your journey? Who inspired you to keep at it? Because it's a long journey, like medicine, yeah. it takes forever. 
you're working forever you're doing a million work work placements you're volunteering writing loads of articles publications and things mm. like that that's similar you have different criteria but different things in the law sector so who inspires you to do all of that and keep going I wouldn't say there's any specific individual that inspires me what I would say is when you have the support I mean Abdul is a prime example mm. when we used to play football mm. you know we always used to joke about these things mm-hmm. but when you have people like Abdul for example supporting you yeah. and they say they encourage you to actually do well you feel that sort of responsibility that you're carrying their values into a profession that you know mm. their voice is unheard so mm. it's bringing everyone under one roof and feeling like you're a representative of that community and yeah. if you do well then it's a good reflection of that community mm. yeah so when you have that sort of on your shoulders it changes you as a person if you go in with the mindset that you're just an individual you just want to do well mm. yeah you might do well but sometimes when you sort of reflect on your career you realize that you may have achieved a lot but you haven't achieved that sort of sincerity within yourself mm. yeah and having support from community members etc is the biggest thing it encourages you every day it really makes you realize that where you grow up and where you end up there's a massive journey but a lot of people don't actually join you on that journey yeah so when you share your journey for them it's brand new and they realize how much of a progression you've made mm. Mm. so what i would say is be inspired by everyone but feel like you're representative of your community that's mm. what it is so a bigger responsibility than mm. just simply getting the grades getting the qualification and doing the job yeah yeah mm. i definitely agree um, and you kind of worded it very nicely this whole community ethos um, and kind of being the voice of you've people. been inspiring a lot of people man yeah well done bro it's not, it's not just you. being a lawyer it's not just <laughs> yeah, being, it's no, not just yeah. being a lawyer and I doctor feel like yeah, there's, there's a lot of people that you've <laughs> yeah, yeah. that have yeah. been thanking you bro you'll be surprised I mean our parents generation mm. for them it was just about survival for yeah. us it's about development true yeah true and that's what it is working on their sort of groundwork and mm. actually taking it to another level I mean we've got more record number of MPs mm from our sort of communities BME communities we've got record number of doctors mm. record number of lawyers mm. so it's now actually giving back rather than breaking in yeah, that's the yeah, way I see yeah. it no definitely I definitely agree and I think that's a very nice way to kind of bring it all to an end thank you you've given us and I'm sure our listeners a very good insight into the world of law thank you mm. into things a lot of, it seems as if a lot of exciting things are coming um, we're in your new office which is beautiful um, how can I, I, people... did, I didn't pay Abdul to say that yeah. <laughs> uh, Sponsored by Black Antelope Law <laughs> How do people reach out to you? Are you happy for people to reach out to you? Absolutely What Absolutely. are your tags, your handles? How do they get in touch Absolutely. with you? Uh, one thing I'll say I, you know, It doesn't matter what walk you, in life you are Whether you're, you're a junior lawyer Or you're a qualified solicitor Or you're just you know, someone who's just interested about law Or you've just got a legal concern I'm quite easy to approach on Instagram mm-hmm. um, LinkedIn um, if you go on our website, for example, just approach us. Just drop us an email. Fine. As simple as that. Quick. If worst worst situation, if you can't get a hold of me, just drop a message to one of you guys, and Fine. you'll probably pass it on. Absolutely. Uh, quick thing. I saw. Is there a Black Antelope um, Trust Fund or something like that that you started up recently? So myself and Simab, we've actually set yeah. up a foundation to help. So what is it you do? You yeah. do so many different yeah, things. Yeah. So many. Yeah. Uh, just tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. So just before COVID, essentially, we just sort of establish a new foundation to help aspiring lawyers come into the profession Mm. Um, something that we personally did myself and him Mm. and what we wanted to do was provide work experience grants Mm. awards and just that sort of experience that we've had and provide it to people who are disadvantaged 
uh, from a young age who really want to go into the legal profession and get a taste of it essentially mm. so this was me giving back and obviously as we recover from the lockdowns there'll be more interesting updates I mean we're just in talks with a secondary school in Islington mm. to host like a major legal essay competition where oh, wow. the winner of the actual essay mm. will get I think something like three, four hundred pounds mm. as a prize money, wow. and the second runner-up will essentially get a work experience with a major, major uh, barrister's chambers mm. just around the corner from here. Oh, wow. Oh, uh, wow. Something people, you know, law students are applying for. Yeah, I think that's good. As in, in school, it was always there was a lot of things about medicine. I remember people mm. come in to be like, "Yeah, mm. this is the route into medicine," but I never remember anything about law. It was always very difficult to get access to those type of information, you know, mm. that insider knowledge. So what you're doing, I think, is very good, and I think it will become very popular uh, across the country. Yeah, definitely. I think our listeners, uh, for the guys who are aspiring to be lawyers and going to the law industry, keep an eye out for that in any of the essay competitions and whatever they've got running. You need to get involved because they're he's creating access for you. Shane's creating access, and I think um, it's going to be a valuable, valuable source to your future careers. So, thank you for taking the time out. No, I know you're thank busy. Thank you, guys. Um, but we hope our listeners enjoyed it. We have another special guest coming up next week. We'll leave you all the details about Shaheen in the bio and descriptions. We'll tag all his Instagram, LinkedIn handles. So reach out if you want. Um, he's a lovely guy and he's more than happy to help you in your journey. Um, in the meantime, look after yourselves and we'll see you next week.